You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is from an earlier interview with Melissa Fitzsimmons, the head of business development at Chargebacks 911. Welcome to PayPod, the show that features thought-provoking interviews with leaders and entrepreneurs in the payments and financial technology industries. From credit card processing to Bitcoin, we cover it all. So if you want to know what's happening right now in the payments industry, stay tuned. Now, here's your host, Scott Hawksworth. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Scott back with you surfing up another episode of PayPod, the payments industry podcast. And we've got a great guest for you this week with whom we'll be covering a crucial payments topic, customer disputes or chargebacks. But I want to start us off with a quick story. Meet Tom. Tom is a small business owner. He runs a subscription-based website where he releases educational videos about repairing cars monthly, the eloquently named Tom's Car Repair Education Subscription Website, LLC. Subscribers pay the monthly fee and have unlimited access to all the videos he's created. A simple service, a simple value proposition from an honest and hardworking businessman. What could go wrong? Meanwhile, Steve is one of Tom's customers, but he's not a good faith customer. Steve's the kind of guy who doesn't ever use a turn signal while driving, and he texts during movies. You see, Steve wants to learn how to repair his car from an expert, but he just doesn't feel like paying Tom for his monthly videos. Because, you know, everything should be free in 2018. So Steve comes up with a brilliant idea. He'll sign up for the membership site for a month, watch all the videos, and then cancel his account to save some money. So he does this. But when that credit card statement comes, he thinks to himself, you know what? I didn't even feel like paying that one month fee. So he institutes a chargeback. He tells his credit card company that he never authorized those charges. It wasn't him that took 15 minutes signing up. Tom's running some kind of scam and... Steve is just an innocent victim. So Tom sees this chargeback dispute and is a little upset. Not only is he losing the monthly fee that Steve paid, but he's also got extra cost on top of that to pay for the bank's trouble. Plus, he's really concerned because this has happened before, and he knows that if too many customers do this, his business could lose the ability to accept credit cards. So he pulls all the information he can, emails sent to Steve that were open, time logs of Steve getting into the website. He didn't collect a CVV code on signup because he wanted to make signup as easy as possible for his customers. And obviously Steve couldn't sign up because this is e-commerce, right? But he gathers everything, writes a kind letter to the bank of Steve's credit card company, explaining the situation and that everything was clearly marked and this chargeback is erroneous. A few weeks later, the bank gets back to him. He lost. No explanation why, no chance for rebuttal. Steve just used Tom's services for free and hurt his business in a number of ways. So Tom goes home, opens a beer, and plays Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. on repeat while he wonders where he went wrong. Could Tom have avoided all of this from the start? Could Tom have won the dispute? I believe he could have, and our guest this week is from a company that specializes in helping the Toms of the world avoid chargeback issues, and when disputes do come up, put themselves in a position to win them. Melissa Fitzsimmons works on business development for Chargebacks 911 and has a lot of great info to share, 
that could help people just like Tom. So if you're a business owner that has ever had a chargeback, or you're a payment professional that works with chargebacks, susceptible businesses, you're going to want to listen up. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here talking about this extremely timely topic. For sure, for sure. Well, to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about your career and how you ended up at chargebacks911.com? Yeah, of course. So I actually came from the traffic facing side of the business. So I was on the forefront of working directly with merchants, acquire sales and leads through media buying, affiliate channels, et cetera. So I was in a role there for 10 years, having direct experience with like I said, the merchants. And obviously when you see the, the front end side of that, you really see the impact forefront of how chargebacks affect it. And you know, you would hear things from them such as we're out of business solely because of our chargebacks. We simply can't manage them. We've lost our processing. So for me, having that front end experience almost in the trenches, dealing directly with merchants was a perfect way for me to transition into my role here at Chargebacks 911. In the grand scheme of things, I'm actually a little bit newer. I've been here for six months, but obviously my experience with these merchants on the front end has put me in an amazing position to now understand the full chain of the front-end ramifications of back-end chargebacks. For sure. And just for those listening, can you give us just a brief overview of Chargebacks 911? You know, at a high level, what does your company do for these businesses, helping them out? Of course. So Chargeback 911 was actually founded by online retailers who tried every major product on the market to resolve their chargeback issues. Nothing really gave them the results that they needed and a sustainable long-term solution simply didn't exist. So they created one. Our solution at Chargebacks 911 is global does far more than simply dispute chargebacks. It addresses the situations that actually cause them. We use a proprietary blend of advanced technology and human intelligence, and we provide scalable, effective enterprise solutions for chargeback compliance, risk mitigation, and dispute management. So really, we're a jack of all trades. For sure. <laughs> Definitely doing a lot of different things. And, so much. <laughs> and I appreciate that you mentioned, you know, it's not just about fighting disputes, because if you can stop them from the start... That's even better. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yes, that would be our dream scenario. Even even though we might not exist, that would be our dream scenario. We're, we're really passionate about this problem. For sure. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking chargebacks. And specifically, what we want to do is give listeners some key things that they can implement in their business, or if they're in the payments industry, things that they can implement in their merchants' businesses today to mitigate chargebacks and recover lost revenue. But before we dig into all of that, for those who just need a quick refresher at a high level, Melissa, what is a chargeback? Why is it so crucial to limit and manage chargebacks? Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> at its core, a chargeback is essentially the reverse of a charge, and it was created as a means for consumer protection. So in 1974, the U.S. passed the Fair Credit Billing Act, and it became of the legal structure um, in other countries, too, as card network regulations took shape. For us, we believe it's crucial to limit and manage chargebacks because essentially each chargeback is an instance is the consumer or issuer communicating that the original charge is fraudulent. 
Because of this, card networks have programs to keep track of which merchants have the biggest chargeback problem. Sadly, in this day and age, about 80% of these chargebacks are not true criminal fraud, and the merchants must defend themselves when they believe they are wrongly accused of this fraud, or else there's super negative consequences. We've actually forecasted that the financial impact of chargebacks may approach $30 billion by 2020, which is just a massive, massive problem. Yeah. And can you outline maybe a few of the big negative results from failing to limit them and manage them? Oh, of course. So major negative consequences can include being hit with significant fines, being put on programs with Visa and MasterCard that cause severe fees. Additionally, the worst case scenario, like I mentioned earlier, and all of this is losing your ability to process transactions at all. This is essentially a major reputational hit too. If you're not disputing chargebacks, you're outright admitting to your consumers, to the card networks, to your processor, to your acquirer, that you are a fraudster. So it's extremely important to to stay on top of this. The risk at the end of the day is your entire business. Yeah, absolutely. And you were already talking about that huge number, these billions of dollars that you guys are projecting by uh, 2020. So let's establish even further the economic case for fighting chargebacks for small and mid-sized businesses. I think everyone can understand why you know a Fortune 500 brand needs to have folks dedicated to, to mitigating and fighting these chargebacks. But what's the economic argument for a small business? After factoring in the cost to fight, you know, what's the ROI that a small or mid-sized business can expect from either fighting chargebacks all on their own or alternatively outsourcing the process to a company like you guys at Chargeback 911? And what sort of win percentage can they expect? Yeah, for sure. So at my core and my heart, I love helping small and medium-sized businesses. I think we're in an economy right now where we've seen the most explosive entrepreneurial growth. We're in a gig economy. There's so much technology out there that can really help empower more entrepreneurs every day, which is just so exciting. A Fortune 500 company will have a little bit more tools at their disposal to be able to still keep themselves in business. But the impact for small and medium businesses is that they simply can't keep up at some point. And if this Mm -hmm. is a problem that's simply drowning them, they have so many other things that they have to worry about since they have so much that goes into being a small and medium-sized business or entrepreneur that the financial impact can be greater versus a Fortune 500 company. So for me, I really love working with small and medium businesses to help them solve this problem. It's something you can just tell the amount of work they've put into the businesses and the stress this puts them under. I take it personally. You know, I want to help them so badly. And you can just hear the anger and upset in them um, when they call in. For us, the really good thing to know is that an in-house team the success rate as reported by card schemes on average is about 21% for chargeback disputes. Our success rate varies per vertical and the price of the chargeback, but on average, we're able to go in and double or triple the effective success rate. This is why we're also offered able to offer an ROI guarantee against the cost of our services. For sure. And there was one thing that you mentioned that I want to highlight, and that's you're talking about these small and, and mid-sized businesses who a lot of them, they have to wear all these hats and they have to manage everything. And I know from my time running a small business, when I got a chargeback, 
I was going around and pulling the information and, and trying to figure out, oh, what happened? You know, is this legit? Did we bill him by mistake or whatever the case may be? And that it's upsetting. It's frustrating. It's like that story I told at the top. And so you can see how maybe having some experts like you guys to help out with that could be so huge. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You know, and things change so fast. A lot of times, even for us, you know, we see changes happening by the day. So with, and this is all we focus on, right? We only focus on chargebacks, <laughs> you know? So for us, I don't even know how merchants are are able to be capable of following all the changes that can come from, from all the different areas on top of successfully doing all the other things they need to do to run their business. It's a, it's a full-time task, which is why we've solely dedicated ourselves to just this problem. It's been more than enough to keep us busy. <laughs> for sure. Okay. So I think that the case for fighting chargebacks and limiting them is clear. Now we got to give people what they want. <laughs> Melissa, can you give me a few tips that if I'm a business owner or I'm a payments professional pitching my merchants on tackling chargebacks, what are three or four quick things that I should make sure I'm doing in my business today to mitigate and win those chargeback disputes? Sure. So we always like to say that the entire chain of payments, it needs a layered approach. That means using a front-end fraud filter for the about 10% of chargebacks you will see that are actually criminal fraud, and then using other techniques within your business to make sure you're mitigating the amount of real chargebacks due to friendly fraud, which is the largest problem we currently see within chargebacks. So these things include amazing customer service, right? You want to make sure your customer is satisfied. And I think that we're in a new time where customer service needs a, a resurgence. You know, things are happening so fast that sometimes, you know, we lose sight of that, you know, people at the end of the day just want to be feel happy and good about what they purchased and love it. So making sure that you're satisfying the customer in every way is extremely important. Low customer service wait times, easy way to refund, you know, easy way to return the product, checking in that you love it are all things that can um, help, you know, mitigate this, this huge problem. Additionally, I think making sure what you're billing is super clear to the consumer is extremely important as well. Make sure that your terms and conditions are clear. Like I said, the refund policy, make sure it's clear, make sure that if you're ordering things that they're showing up on time, you know, we're seeing so many, like I said, products that are on the market through Kickstarter and all these things. And it's so much exposure to consumers directly through the internet that we have these days that if, if you run out of product and you cannot fulfill, you can find yourself in a huge problem faster than you ever expected it to be, which is great on one hand, but the impact further can just be totally detrimental that you just cut yourself off before you even got started. Um, and then additionally, you know, I have to say a great backend process like Chargebacks 911 to make sure you have a partner who's keeping you up to date on trends, compliance issues, fighting these disputes, you know, really getting in there and defending you against people who are intentionally trying to defraud you is absolutely essential in this day and age. It's absolutely huge. And I like what you were mentioning about how the problem can balloon so fast. And before you even know it, it's like, oh no, now that's just out of control and I've got all these chargebacks. So being proactive is just key. 
For sure. But on the flip side, are there any things that businesses can do to immediately sink their chances of winning a dispute in their response? You know, or before that, are there official policies that businesses should avoid or statements listed on their site or elsewhere that could really up the chance that they would lose a lot of disputes? We're just thinking about things that that could sink you before you even got in there. Yeah, for sure. I think not collecting and storing information on the front end about the customer is probably one of the biggest things that you can do. So this includes making sure that your tracking information is correct. You're sending a order confirmation. You're sending a delivery confirmation. You're doing address verification. You're verifying a CVV code. I think that there are, you know, obviously just a lot of things that they can do but not including those types of things within a dispute are really some of the top reasons we see for losing it. You know, if you can't prove the things that you've done, your chances are way less in being able to win the representment against your company. And like I said, when a chargeback comes in, it's someone calling, a consumer calling your business or indicating to the acquirer and the issuer that you are fraudulent and no one wants to think that their business they've worked so hard for is fraudulent. So you need to make sure you have all of that information and all of that data to back up what you're doing is legitimate. Absolutely. And you know, for those listening, you'll notice in my opening story, I mentioned that he didn't collect the CVV code. You were right Maybe on it. Doing something like that would have helped him when he was trying to fight that. For sure. It would have. <laughs> In addition to helping companies fight and win these chargeback disputes, Chargeback 911 also provides a lot of related services. And one of the most intriguing to outsiders is chargeback alerts. You know, if you're the type of business that works in an industry where there are more chargebacks, it seems that at least at first glance, chargeback alerts are the silver bullet to fixing that. But in practice, I've seen very few businesses actually benefit from this because the cost of just giving any person who initiates a dispute a full refund are so high that most businesses are like, I don't want to do that. Can you quickly explain what chargeback alerts are and who, if anyone, is really using them on a regular basis and how they're using them effectively? For sure. I think this is so pertinent to the subscription economy we are also in, I think, more and more, especially if you look at my own personal credit card statement, <laughs> you will see a lot of subscription-based services on there. You know, I think it's a, a huge shift in, I don't want to just say, you know, millennials, but in general, I think that this is a shift to a model that consumers are are saying that they want. They're driving this demand. And really, if you go as far back as me remembering that I used to do this might be dating myself, but Columbia House Records and my one cent penny thing for all my CDs that I used to get. Yeah. Something um, has been around a long time and you know now has just evolved. So really the alerts are for people who maybe are coming closer and closer to the percentages that the card schemes deem to be in breach. Usually that's excess of 1% of chargebacks. You know, obviously each scheme has their own rules on how they calculate these, but alerts are really there to help reduce the amount of chargebacks in terms of the hard count and chargebacks and the percentages that you have. So when the cardholder contacts the dispute to dispute a transaction, the issuing bank will actually alert the merchant to the transaction dispute, 
the merchant will have 24 hours to refund the transaction before it turns into a chargeback. So obviously, as you can see, if it's a, you've got a short window to go ahead and make sure you avoid this. If you are in potentially a more high risk or subscription-based model so that you can comfortably stay underneath your thresholds. For sure. On a related note, you know, as an outsider to the dispute process, it seems like a relatively new development on the dispute front, the Visa Merchant Purchase Inquiry, or VMPI. And it seems like it's a form of a chargeback alert on steroids. <laughs> but is that what it really is? Uh, how are merchants using VMPI and is chargeback 911 integrating it into their system? Yeah. So VMPI or Visa Merchant Purchase Inquiry, just like you said, is something super exciting. It's really cool to see the card teams getting involved and you know taking the lead on maybe some changes. I certainly think that it's to be seen whether... How much this will affect alerts, depending on, you know, Visa is just one part of the equation here, right? There's so many cards, there's so many different payment types that are popping up even besides credit cards these days. But yeah, the very short answer is that VMPI is just like a retrieval request initiated by the issuer. And by providing information on the transaction through a facilitator like Chargebacks 911, you can disqualify the transaction or dispute a chargeback in real time. I think a big thing right now that's not happening is the amount of data that the issuers can pull up in real time on the details of the transaction while talking to the consumer is limited. So this will be able to shorten that window way more effectively. And to answer your question, yes, we are thrilled to be one of the first facilitators using VMPI. Merchants do need to access it through a facilitator. And um, we are so excited to be one of the first facilitators currently integrated. I think we pride ourselves on being industry leaders and also technology leaders. So for us, this was absolutely something that we knew that we needed to jump all over for our clients clients and, you know, for future clients. That's awesome. And it's so great that that you guys and, and really the industry as a whole is, is continuing to think forward on this because, you know, it, it's always evolving and we, we see how important it is to, to limit these chargebacks. So anything that can be done to do that is, is huge. Oh, 100%. So for small businesses in particular, disputes are often sort of like an afterthought. And given the tight response time windows, businesses often just fail to respond altogether. So let's say I'm the sort of business that says, look, I only get 20 chargebacks a year. And frankly, I don't want to deal with them at all. So can I just outsource that to chargeback 911? And if so... You know, what would that whole process look like? Yeah, absolutely. So this is exactly why we have different levels of service. Within our product offerings, we have a SaaS model. So software as a service, let's say you have an internal team and maybe you just need a better way to organize how they're fighting chargebacks. Well, we can provide that system for them or say that you want to use our services, but you want maybe a more custom solution that's just tailored to you. We can absolutely do that too. So we really take a custom approach with all the product offerings we have to look at the problem. You know, so for your example, 20 chargebacks a year, if your 20 chargebacks are for $10 each, 
might be a better model for you to use our SaaS model. However, if those 20 chargebacks a year are $10,000 each, you know, maybe you're a furniture or a car company, or you brought up your car parts example in the beginning, but my husband is a race car driver, so he buys lots of tires. <laughs> and so, you know, 20 chargebacks a year at $10,000 each is a huge problem, right? So it really just depends. And that's why we take a custom approach to each client. And really our goal is if there's a chargeback that you don't want to fight, we're here to help facilitate that in any way you need. We're pretty nimble with it. That's awesome. And that's so helpful for small businesses. Oh, for sure. Uh, because, you know, every situation is different. So, you know, this is a payments industry show mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people out there working in payments businesses. And I've been really impressed with how ubiquitous chargebacks 911 is online. And, you know, you, you said that at the top that, you know, you kind of came from that more front facing kind of marketing type world. Mm -hmm. How do you guys go about marketing your services and connecting with ISOs and merchants? Do you have any tips for folks who just want to get more connected and grow their businesses in the payments industry? Yeah, for sure. So I will say, you know, as a newcomer to the industry myself, really specifically in payments, it's just so amazing how much people are willing to share information within this industry. So at Chargebacks 911, I totally appreciate the, the kudos on marketing our services and, and connecting. We believe the more information that's out there and the more info sharing we all do between ISOs, processors, merchants, acquirers, issuers, the more we can help the merchant at the end of, of the process, which is really the forefront of our goal. For mm -hmm. us, we actually do about 110 events worldwide each year. So we do a ton of events. We're talking to so many people. We're pushing our brand to be the leaders of learning and be the leaders of, of where people can come as a resource so that even if you don't use us, we're able to provide you some information that can help. You know, at the end of the day, we're still helping. We're still a partner at some front, forefront. And, you know, like I said, this entrepreneurial space is growing so much that we just always felt if you've come to our website to read about what we have to offer and then down the line, who knows what can, you know, blow up product wise um, in this day and age that they remember that, you know, we were there from the beginning and we mm -hmm. sure want to be there for them at the end. So, you know, for, for anyone who's just getting, getting interested, get out there, ask questions, really get involved with who does what and what each piece is involved in the entire process so that you can learn and really understand this industry because it is certainly super complicated. And the goal is to make it less complicated and reduce that friction. For sure. So if I could kind of drill it down to what you were saying, it's about putting yourself out there, letting people know who you are, connecting, and then providing value, even if it's just sharing information and sort of being a touch point for someone, even if they aren't specifically using your services right then, Maybe that little thing they'll remember, oh, I, you know, I read that article mm -hmm. or I talked to that person and they just really helped clear, clarify this thing. Then that's how you, that's how you get a sale. That's how you get a new partnership. That's how you get some exciting things, right? Yeah. The goal at the end, I mean, you know, while sales and clients are amazing, really informing everyone about what's going on, I think is at our core, you know, the more information, the smarter decisions people can make about what's really affecting them. Absolutely. Okay. Can you peer into the crystal ball? 
Where do you see chargebacks 911 and say three to five years? Are there any long-term projects you guys are working on or overall goals that you can share that are things coming down the pipeline that you think businesses might really benefit from? Yeah. You know, we're working on, on so many things at the time, like I said, with how much access we've had worldwide. One of the most amazing things for us is that we want to be global leaders. We have a full team in the European Union. It's expanding every single day. We're currently working on being involved in every cycle of the chargeback and helping to reform and streamline that entire process, which I mentioned is so full of friction. You know, you brought up VMPI. That's certainly an amazing thing that if within the next three to five years takes off, MasterCard is following right behind. And whether it's working with issuers, acquirers, we want to help with every piece of this process with the end goal to assist the merchant. And the changes are just so substantial. In three to five years, who knows? But I can definitely say with the leadership here at Chargebacks 911 and just the passion they have for helping merchants, I can't say anything else besides I hope global domination. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay. So we have a segment that we like to end with where we do a fast five questions, rapid fire. Melissa, are you ready? Um, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Make a prediction about the future of payments that you expect will happen in the next 12 to 24 months. All right. Significant rise of card not present and e-commerce transactions. I think that we've just made a dent. You know, I don't want to, to doom and gloom and say that, you know, you know, uh, box store retail is over, but we've certainly seen an impact thus far and it's only going to continue further movement to subscription-based payments as well. What's one cool piece of payment-related technology that you've come across recently that's unrelated to your company that impressed you? Sure. I, I think that some of the algorithms that our partners on the front end criminal fraud have just advanced so much in being able to see how certain triggers are affecting the sale from happening on the front end. Certainly we want just criminal fraud to be identified on the front end without it affecting the conversion rates or, you know, the sale being generated. Uh, so just some of the tech that our partners have used related to that is, is outstanding. Uh, here at Chargebacks, we like to say that humans start chargebacks. So you need humans to fight chargebacks. And certainly while we're very algorithmic, we definitely take a huge human approach, you know, to what we do. Additionally, I would say the advancement of peer-to-peer -peer payment options. I think that we've seen so it's not just Zelle anymore. It's not just Venmo. Mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing more and more come out. Additionally, a lot of very fast adoption of wallet solutions. All of these things offer opportunities for merchants and customers to simplify the payment process. I think it's going to be really, really, really cool. All the tech that we continually see to come out. It seems like every day there's something new. Oh, for sure. In the next five years, most Americans will make a purchase with either Bitcoin, Apple Pay, or some other thing. Which one and why? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a Bitcoin girl, I got to say. Oh, um, okay. I, I, I love right, it. Yeah. So I love blockchain tech, but I think wide adoption within five years seems like a stretch. 
So if I was a safe better, which which <laughs> which I am, which is I feel like not <laughs> what I just said because I said I like Bitcoin. It's something like Apple Pay, more of the wallet programs because it's a little sure. bit less of a leap of familiarity for the customers. I think a lot of people are still trying to wrap their head around blockchain and Bitcoin, but mm-hmm. Apple Pay, you look at it on on a phone and a device that's essentially an extension of yourself. It makes way for more familiarity and I think comfort for people than I think jumping to something like like Bitcoin just yet. But down the road, certainly blockchain is going to change everything. What's one piece of advice you would have for someone who's considering the payments industry as a career? You know, you mentioned you're kind of newer to the industry and you've made the jump. So what advice might you have for someone who's thinking about doing a similar jump? Buckle up and ask so <laughs> many questions. I have no fear. That's one of the things that I, I, I'm really proud of. And, you know, I think that unless you ask questions and maybe you take the risk of asking even a stupid question, you're going to learn more than not asking the question in the first place. So I have pages and pages of notes. I'm probably overboard on, on annoying everyone here all the time with, with all the questions I have and how does this deal with that? But you know, it's complicated. And, and if you want to figure it out, you cannot be afraid to ask and really understand. This is not a one explanation thing that you're going to get it. It's a continual process. Absolutely. What's the best business advice you've ever received and from whom? I got to say, the team over here in terms of our business leadership is just, I couldn't be more more happy or proud. And I am a little bit of a perfectionist and I I get very frustrated with myself if I can't go from zero (laughs) to 100 all at once. So, you Mm -hmm. know, for, for me, the best advice I received was to look at your career and your impact as people as a masterpiece on a canvas. And that each day, as long as you're adding a single brushstroke that helps improve that masterpiece you're trying to create, then you're doing better than the day you did before. So I always like to just take it one day at a time, one brushstroke at a time, and then keep standing back and making sure that my masterpiece is coming clearer and clearer into focus. And um, that that was from our, our VP of operations here. And it's it's been something that I, I keep with me every day. That's awesome. You got through it. I I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Melissa, I wanted to thank you so, so much for joining me on the show today. This was really, really informative. Awesome. I'm so, thank you so much. Like we appreciate the opportunity and um, yeah, really love the, the pod and the podcast and everything that you guys are putting together here. So please, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. And for folks listening, if you want to learn more about Chargebacks 911, you can visit them online at chargebacks911.com. They've got a lot of fantastic services. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. And I'm, we're here to help with anything. Don't be afraid. Reach out. So that's it for our interview today, which means that it is time to award our Small Business Organization of the Week. Each and every episode, we want to highlight business groups and organizations that are doing great work advancing the interests of entrepreneurs and small businesses, helping business people connect, being positive influences in their local communities, and so much more. These organizations are nominated by you, our listeners. So if you ever think of one that you think deserves to be highlighted, don't hesitate to let us know. Send an email to scott at sorepay.com and we may just mention it. This week, we are thrilled to recognize the Dallas Entrepreneur Center, the DEC. 
The DEC is a 501c3 nonprofit organization driving innovation and economic impact by helping entrepreneurs start, build, and grow their businesses. Since 2013, they have been launching physical hubs and education programs for startups, accelerating connection for founders, and collaborating with investors, corporations, and public institutions. The DEC believes in investment in entrepreneurs is an investment in the community. From creating jobs to triggering economic growth and generating local revenue, the value of startups can be seen in communities across the country. However, for a majority of entrepreneurial hopefuls, reaching a point of success is not without its challenges. The DEC helps remove those challenges by blending valuable online and offline resources and events and programs in a much-needed physical presence to deliver direct access to the resources, education, and guidance needed to make startups successful and economic growth in Dallas achievable and sustainable. They accomplish this through mentorship, hosting and participating in networking events, building community, and so, so much more. Entrepreneurship isn't just about individuals. It's important to recognize how access to resources and connections and guidance can help new startup businesses become successes. And that's why the DEC is a very, very worthy award winner. If you'd like to learn more about them, you can visit them online at thedec.co. Many congrats to them on their selection. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like what we do here, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening platform is. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of PayPod, brought to you by Soar Payments. Soar Payments is a leading merchant services provider for e-commerce, high-risk, and hard-to-place businesses. If you'd like to get the latest PayPod episode sent to you automatically, subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher, or visit soarpay.com slash podcast. <laughs> <laughs>